0: John chapter 6, we're going to look, we ended in in verse number 21 last week. Uh, The Bible says in verse 21 of John 6, Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Now, previously in John 6, Jesus has fed the 5,000 with just five small loaves and two small fishes. After doing the the feeding of the 5,000, He goes and sends the people away, the crowd away, and had the disciples get in the boat, and they sail to Capernaum. In the midst of their sailing across the water, they go into a storm. Now, Jesus is on the, he's on the land. He's back there watching and praying. And and, and and immediately in the storm, when the sailors, the disciples are in this boat, they're, they're tooling and rowing. Jesus meets them in the storm. And immediately, the Bible says in verse 21, they're at the other side. Well, then the story shifts just a little bit because in verse 22... The Bible says this, the day following. So this is literally the next day. This is the next day after the storm. This is the next day after the feeding of the 5,000. 24 hours is 24 hours. This is the next day when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one where into the disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away, notice this, alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh to the place where they did eat bread, and after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping, meaning they were taking count. They were looking for these other boats and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Now that is a good thing when someone seeks for Jesus. We, we like that. But here's really the message. And when they found Him on the other side, verse 25 of the sea, they said unto Him, Rabbi, means teacher, when camest thou hither? So they're confused. They're wondering how this actually happened. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek Me, not because ye saw the miracles but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach. I pray that you'll help us... Get through these passages, this text. I pray as we plow through the word that you will bring up nuggets, meat that we can hang on to this week and get nourishment. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now before I get in the message today, this message I feel like this week I actually hooked up a team of oxen and got a plow. And we've been plowing this week. I've been, Brother Linwood, I've been studying and I've been, as I've dove into just these I think 10 or 11 verses, I feel like I've been plowing up stuff. You're going to have to hang on today because we're going somewhere, and when we get there, you don't want to miss it. Go back to verse 22. The Bible says that they're looking for Jesus, the people which stood on the other side of the sea. So think about it. These are the same people. Keep in mind, these are the same people that actually had witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. They witnessed Jesus going back into the hillside. And, and Jesus sends them away. They literally go four and a half miles around. And, and they go around and they're waiting on Jesus on the other side. Look at the rest of that verse. There was none other boat there save the one where into his disciples were entered. So though Jesus had ended his meetings, dispersed the crowd and sent the people away. They had hung around literally all night. They're waiting for Jesus. And apparently a group of them were keeping track of the boats for the purpose of keeping track of where Jesus was. Now look at verse 23. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nine to the place. Now I want you to get a geographical kind of sketch in your mind. And I know it's hard without a map here, and I know maybe if you've never been there before, it's hard to envision it. But just envision a big body of water And there's boats who had sailed from Tiberias. Now, Tiberias is a a city that was built by King Herod Antipas in A.D. 22. It was the capital city. Uh, it, It exists, Tiberias is halfway down the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. Literally on the west side of the Sea of Galilee is a beautiful city of Tiberias. On the northwest corner of the Sea of of Galilee is the city of Capernaum. Capernaum is like the headquarters of Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry. On the other side, the northeast corner is the Sea of, uh, on the northeast corner is Bethsaida which is, uh, uh, if you're looking at it, you're you're looking at the northeast corner uh, over here. The northwest corner is Capernaum. And then you have halfway down the Sea of Galilee, you have this city called Tiberias. There was vessels sailing from Tiberias, boats that were coming. And apparently there had been some people who had been following Jesus who had sailed from Tiberias, and they had arrived in Capernaum. Because look at verse 24, Jesus was not there. Do you see that? When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, then it says, neither his disciples, notice this phrase, they also took shipping. So they were taking inventory of the situation. They saw Jesus send his disciples away. They're standing there and Jesus, he tells his disciples to get in this ship. This is before the storm. So they see the disciples get, they cannot understand how Jesus got to where he was. They're confused. This man appears with the disciples, but he didn't leave with the disciples. They're they're confused as to what's going on, and Jesus wasn't anywhere to be found at this time. But then it says in verse 24, just follow along, And came to Capernaum. Seeking for Jesus. Now this is the place that the disciples were headed to. They were headed to Capernaum. And it was also the, as I said earlier, the headquarters in Galilee. And the Bible says at the end of verse 24, they are seeking for Jesus. Now, church, listen to this. That sounds really good. They're seeking for Jesus. Shouldn't we all be seeking for Jesus? We should all be seeking for Jesus today, but... Look at verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? They can't figure out what happened. He didn't leave with them, but now he's here with them. And Rabbi, teacher, when camest thou hither? How did you get here? When did all this transpire? We've been sitting here waiting on you to come, and you're already here. Hmm. Look to verse number 26. He says, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did, not, because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. He said, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles. Now, to understand this statement of Jesus right here, we need to understand the word for He used for Miracles. It's the word for signs. There was a purpose behind it. He was wanting to show them, as John tells us, he used the word miracles or signs on the basis upon who wrote the whole book. John chapter 20, listen to this, in verse number 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. Here's the purpose, verse 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. The reason that John put these particular uh, miracles or signs in his gospel is for us to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That many would believe and have life through his name. So what Jesus is saying is that people might have seen the spectacular but they didn't understand the significance of the spectacular. Look at verse number 26 again. Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, notice this, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. You know what all the people were concerned about is, hey, free food. Let me just say this. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're at. If you're handing out free, good food, people are going to be there. Am I right? This church said, and we put out a big announcement to our community in Simpsonville, and we said, uh, hey, there's going to be free food at Bible Baptist, and we're going to have this. We're going to have a big old fish fry, and we're going to have uh, some steaks, and we're going to have some hamburgers and hot dogs. It will not cost you a dime. Come on, and just, we're just going to feed you until you're full. Let me tell you something. This building, them buildings, over and over could not hold the people because they want to go where they're going to get some free food. And this is exactly why people were mesmerized. They were thinking, hey, free food. Now, here's what they could have been thinking cool, free food. What kind of guy can do this? Could this be the Savior? But that never entered their mind. Let me just say this to start out our message. Number one, listen, here's my first thought. Let's be careful. Not to miss when God is trying to speak to you. God is trying to speak to these people and they, they keep missing it. Let me just say, church, I believe often that God is trying to speak to us and we keep missing it. He's trying to show us things. What is God, God, you know, even in the trials that we're in, in the the situations that we're in, a good question often to ask is, what is God trying to tell me through this? What is He trying to teach me through this? Are are these signs that God is trying to show me something? Here's what David said in Psalms 32 and verse number 8 and 9. He said, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou goest. I will guide thee with mine eye." He said, I will guide thee with mine eye. You know what? Jesus is not. God is not going to guide you by beating you over the head. God is not going to push you into a situation. God wants to guide you with His eyes. But notice what else the psalmist says in verse number 9. I will guide thee with mine eye. He said in verse 9, Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held with a bit and a bridle, lest they come near unto thee. So you know what David says, a a horse and a mule need something in its mouth, and when you yank on it, when when you pull, it is going to listen because it hurts. God doesn't want to hurt you. God wants to guide you. I took a class years ago in Bible college, and it was called Song Leading Vocal, some kind of vocal song leading type thing, I wish I would have paid attention. But I remember my instructor saying this. They wanted all, I was not a music major by any stretch, but they wanted all of the pastoral uh, degrees and and all those, they wanted us ministry-minded to take a music class on how to lead music because here's what they used to say. You never know when you're going to have to step in And lead music. I really wish I would have listened. I remember though, he said, it doesn't matter how much you wave your arms. I've seen people get up there and buddy, I'm talking about they are just swinging them arms. And ah, you know, and he says this. All you can do. He said, anybody can lead a choir if they are looking at you And reading your eyes. I remember that. Lead with your eyes. Now, there's people around here that know, and we've been together long enough, that they can look into my eyes and know that I'm not, that ain't the way it's supposed to be. All I've got to do is look. And I don't have to say nothing, I don't have to point, don't have to do this. They know they done fouled up. Or, what, what did I do? Or, or oh, it, oh, I forgot. Because the eyes say a lot. This is exactly what the psalmist is saying. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. By the way, we know the eyes of the Lord run to and fro all over the earth. The eyes of God are leading We have a choice in how God can lead us. He can lead us like a horse with a bridle or He can lead us with with an eye. And God looks over this way and and I move over that way. That's what God wants. He wants us to, to be led with His eyes. But here's really the meat of the message. Look at verse 27. Here's what Jesus responds to them. He just scolds them for not really seeking Him because of the miracles but because they had food. Verse 27, Jesus says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Now keep our story in mind. Here are these people who have been fed in the wilderness, and now they're seeking hard after Jesus, and... And even willing to get in their boats to sail four and a half miles into Capernaum. And they wanted more of what they had earlier. They wanted food. They're probably hungry. Their food is probably perished. And they're doing all of this for something that will perish in just a few hours, in just a few days. We've all eaten really good meals. I've eaten some wonderful meals in my lifetime. But can I tell you, the next day, that meal that I ate prior is not good enough. I need something for today. And Jesus says in verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth. Work not for the meat that perishes. Why? Because it's going to go away. So many people today are working and laboring for things that will perish. Hey, where's your priorities at? Where's your priorities at? Jesus is not telling them Don't work. Let me just say this. It's God's will that every one of us work. God is not giving them a ticket to get out of work. He's challenging what our reasons for working. Think about this. Paul, he was a great missionary, but Paul was also a tent maker. And the reason that Paul was a tent maker was because he did not want to be a burden on them small churches and them cities where he came. Paul wanted to buy his own food. He even said in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3 and verses 7 through 10, he said, For even when we were with you, this is what we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And I say a whole hearty amen right there. The Half of America ain't working. Let me just say, if you're disabled and you're not able to work, or if there's something wrong with you and you're not able to work, absolutely you should be taken care of. If you're a widow in here or someone that's been abandoned, absolutely there should be programs in place that you should work or or you should be taken care of with children and all that. But can I say this, if you're a well-bodied individual in here and you just refuse to work, that's not the will of God. Get you a job find them. And by the way, oh, pastor, they're not hiring. That is a lie. Everywhere I eat, they're short. They want to hire me when I walk in. I'm surprised they haven't asked me to cook my own food yet. Hey, it's a bad day when Chick-fil-A's hiring. I was in Hendersonville last week and they're hiring Chick-fil-A $19 an hour. I put in an application. $19 an hour. Good night. Oh my. Paul talks about the toiling. Hey, let me ask you this though. Jesus says in verse 27, labor not for things that will perish. A lot of times people on Sundays, will, they'll, they'll, they'll get overtime on Sundays. And I'm not knocking you. We live in a day where people, it's unfortunate there's certain, uh, certain careers that make people work on Sunday. And I, I, God knows I'm not knocking at anybody and I'm not even aware of it. But I know this. If you're if you're working on Sundays just to pay off the bass boat and to get a nicer truck or a nicer car or nicer clothes, those things perish. This will be in a Goodwill in a few years. Y'all know I'm telling it right. Oh yeah, I know it's the Lord's day, but yeah, hey, down there they're paying double time and a half, and I get to work, man. I tell you that payment's coming up, honey. We got to do... hold on a second. What are you working for? Where is your priorities? Jesus said, you're laboring. Notice, for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you, for Him hath God the Father sealed. John Wesley wrote of this. He said, the work most pleasing to God and the foundation of all others, the Bible says, as Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, but without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Here's the deal. You say, Pastor, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I need to do this. How about faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Look at verse number 30 with me. The Bible says this, They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then? That we may see and believe thee, what dost thou work? Now think about this word sign, the same word that's translated miracles in verse 26, Simeon. This is one of the characteristics of the Jews, not necessarily all bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So here's what they're saying. Okay, then. All right, Jesus. If you're supposed to be believing in you, if we're supposed to be believing in you, what kind of sign are you doing? Now think about this. They're asking Jesus in verse 30, what sign have you been doing? My my question to them is where have you been? He just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. In chapter 2, He turned water into wine. In chapter 4, he healed the official's son. In chapter 5, he he healed a man that was paralyzed for 38 years. Have you not been paying attention? What sign are you asking? Look at verse 31. It says this, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now follow the thinking of these Jews here. Now stay with me, because this is going to be good. Follow their thinking. They just said this. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Our fathers did eat. Our fathers. Hang on to this. Who are they talking about? They're talking about Moses. Moses is what they're speaking of. Follow the thinking, it's time of Passover, so John chapter 6 verse 4, it says that it's the time of the Passover, and the people have been fed in the wilderness, and so here's what these people bring up. They bring up another time when they were fed in the wilderness, and they even go on to quote Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse number 15, which it tells the story of God feeding the people in the book of Exodus. The people are kind of drawing comparisons between Jesus and Moses. Now, here's what Jesus says in verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Here's what the people were doing. Listen to this. The Jews were actually crediting Moses for feeding them. And Jesus in verse 32 says, that wasn't Moses that fed your ancestors. That was my father. Where do you think that manna came from? Moses gave you that bread from heaven. That's in verse 32. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. So the issue here, it wasn't Moses doing the giving back during the exodus. It was God. But to the Jews... Moses was their Savior. He's the one that provided. And and, and Jesus said in verse 32, He said a phrase, but my Father giveth you. It was from the Father. In fact, the very Scripture that the people quote in Nehemiah 9, 1 through 15, actually says it was God that gave them the manna. They're not even reading their own Scriptures. I have found that most, when they try to interpret Scriptures, have never read the Scriptures they're interpreting. You ever got into a theological debate with someone and they start dragging Scriptures out and they they don't even know what they're talking about? And I I want to say to them, and I don't want to be unkind, but I want to say, have you read the Scriptures that you're trying to twist? (laughs) That's exactly what's going on here in verse 32. True bread from heaven is what Jesus said. And maybe there's something better than Moses' manna. Maybe it's Jesus. He's the true bread. And Moses' bread was just a foreshadowing of what God would really do for His people in the New Testament. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. I see some of your brains smoking just a little bit. And I want to show you Exodus 16. Exodus 16. This is exactly what happened and what I'm alluding to. Exodus 16, and let's look down in verse number 2, I believe it is. It kind of tells the whole story of of the situation. Look at verse 2. Now this is Moses and Aaron, and the Bible says this, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So, Church, let's do a little question, answering questions. Is murmuring a sin, yes or no? Yes. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Yes. Murmuring is a sin. What murmuring is in the Bible is complaining, griping, grumbling. So what they're doing, Brother Chuck, the the children of Israel are in the wilderness. They had just been delivered out of bondage. God is providing for them. But they start to murmur against Moses and Aaron. I'm hungry and I'm tired of the food. I'm tired of what we got. So so in verse 2, we see according to Exodus 16 that murmuring is a sin. Now I'm going to show you the gospel in Exodus 16. While we were yet sinners. Guilty of complaint. Oh preacher, I've never sinned before. I've never I've never done anything wrong before. While we were yet sinners. Everybody's get guilty of complaining a time or two. Look with me in verse number 14. So God hears their complaints. He has mercy upon them. Verse 14, and when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the, the wilderness, there lay a small round thing. There lay a small round thing. I want to focus on that. It was small. Let me just say that when you first start hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, it may not seem like a big deal at first. This was a big deal. It was small, just like a little Debbie cake. How many of you felt something when I said little Debbie? I'm like Jonathan Neese. I'm in a relationship with little Debbie. By the looks of it, some of you are too, Amen. I always imagine manna being like a little Debbie cake. They're not very big, but oh my, it will change you once you dig into that wonderful thing. The Bible says it's small. You remember when you first heard the gospel? Maybe you remember when it might have been when you were a child. It may have been when you were—I don't know—maybe a teenager, maybe in a—but you you remember, and it didn't seem like that big of a deal at first. But oh my look with me in verse number 15 and when the children of israel saw it they said one to another it is manna for they wist not what it was you know what they didn't even know what it is when you first begin to know jesus you don't really always understand what's happening do you you don't always understand what's going on. I, I walked by the discipleship class this morning. I just kind of walked by, and there's some windows, and I looked in and I saw, man, I saw about a dozen people sitting around, and, and, and there's, you know what they're learning? They're learning what manna is. That's what discipleship is. I'm teaching you what that little round thing is. I'm teaching you that we're all sinners. I'm teaching you these things. And it's starting to sink in. What is that thing? That's what they ask in verse 15. But look at verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather, up, gather it of it every man according to his eating, and Omar for every man according to the number of the persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. Verse 16, it says, take ye every man. Can I say this? Once you get it, it's for everybody. There is nobody excluded from this manna. You say, well, pastor, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea where I've come from. I don't know, but he does. And this manna is for everyone. Oh, when you get a good dose of Jesus, it's for everybody. In verse number 18, look with me in Exodus sixteen eighteen. And when they did meet it with an omar, he that gathered much had nothing over and he that gathered little had no lack. Oh, I love that. When you come to Jesus, he will meet every need and there'll be no lack. You try to fill it with whatever. You can try to say, Pastor, I'm, I'm trying to fill the, my, my emptiness and my hunger with this and with that. And with hey, let me tell you, when you get a good dose of Jesus, he will fill that void and you will not lack Boy, I love reading Exodus 16 because, verse number 31, the Bible says, And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, capital M. And it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers. That's vanilla wafers in the Greek, in the Hebrew, made with honey. I want to say every time I read that verse, I go to Psalms 34 and verse number 8 Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Hey, when we taste of his goodness, It's going to be wonderful. I believe that manna, when they saw it and when they tasted of it, oh, they were like, I've never tasted anything so heavenly. By the way, that is our Jesus. Right there in Exodus 16, the Israelites are already getting ready to see what Jesus will do for them. That's our Jesus. Look with me, though, in John. Let's go back to John. I'm almost through. John chapter 6. Look with me in verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. I love this verse. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, now hang with me. Jesus is talking about how we will meet the needs, how he will meet the needs deep down inside the heart. He totally satisfies. We've seen that, that woman at the well. Well. The Jews they had a tradition about the the manna, and they and they and they talked about it even in the in the even today they'll even refer to some of the manna. But here's what he says in verse 35. He said, "We'll never hunger, or we'll never thirst." So the question then arises: If we will never hunger, then how can a Christian fall into sin? Now think about this. If we never hunger, if we get that taste of that manna that fills us and it never lacks, then how do we fall back into sin? We see part of the answer in the manna. Here's what happened, church. Hang, Don't miss this. In In Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites began to murmur again. The manna was not enough. The quail that God provided, even though He was merciful, the quail that God provided because they started complaining about the manna and He sent quail, and I'm talking about they dropped dead right in the camp and they were prepared and the people did eat them. It wasn't enough. And in Numbers chapter 11, here's what they said, and please hang on to this. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlics, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. You know what they started to do? They started to complain about the very bread that God had sent them. Pastor, how do we follow Jesus the right way? I'll tell you this, another thing is we don't need to look back. The problem with Israel is this. Be careful about looking back. They began to think about when they were in bondage. Hey, let me just say this. Some of you got saved out of a life of sin. Brother, I can you, what will happen is someone will get saved and they get on fire. Boy, this is the best life. And all of a sudden, trials and problems come. And here's what they'll say. I've heard them say it. Well, I never had this problem when I was back in the world. Man, when I was a drunk, I didn't have that problem. When I was shooting up, I didn't have that problem. When I was running around with my wife, I didn't have that problem. But now that I got saved, everything seems to be falling apart. Hold on, Jack. I'd be careful about looking back. Because that's how we go back. See, if you you won't look back, you won't go back. Oh, pastor, they were saved for a year or two, and now they're back to what they used to be doing. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. They started to look back. They forgot about the bread that God provided for them daily. They forgot about the manna. They forgot about the blessings. They forgot. And when some hard times came, and some storms came, and when some trials came, they started looking back. Listen, church, can I say this morning upon the authority of God's Word, don't look back. There's nothing to go back to. You telling me them drugs did something for you? You telling me that adultery did something back for you? You telling me that alcohol that you used to be into? You say, well, Pastor, I did none of that. You telling me that pride that you were into was better than what you got? Look at what God's done for you. Look at what God's provided for you. Don't look back. Egypt has nothing for you, the world has nothing for you. They'll sell you a wooden nickel. They'll lie to you. They'll promise you the world and give you nothing. And Jesus is dropping blessings out of heaven every day. But we look back. Be careful about looking back. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark. We don't need to go back. Notice what he says in verse 35, and I'm through. He said, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never perish, never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. No more hunger. Think about that. How, Pastor, you saying if I if I feast on the bread of life, I'll never hunger, not spiritually. Well, then what's this entail? If, I, if I'm not going to hunger, if, if this is going to satisfy my ever longing, if this is going to satisfy all of my cravings, if this is, I'm getting a good dose of the bread. It involves two things. I want you to write these things down. Just two simple things to no hunger. The first thing is this. It involves coming. You come to Jesus. You say, Pastor, coming to Jesus. Now, I did that at salvation. Oh, no, 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 no. See, when when God provided that man in the wilderness, it was for that day. Oh, but Pastor, I'm going to get tomorrows and hoard it up, and then I'm going to get this week so I don't have to get up that early. No, 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 no. See, once you got it in the tent and you stored it up, it rotted. It wasn't good the next day. When you pulled it out of the basket, there was maggots on it and a bunch of mess and... You didn't eat that. You mean in a day? In a day, it's how God set it up. Why? He wanted you to come. Come to where it is. You know what coming involved? It involved movement. Moving. You can't just lay there and say, okay, God, just dump it on me, but I'm not going to put forth an effort. No. You move, listen, to where Jesus is. It involves moving from where I am. You say, well, pastor, what's that mean? That means moving from your blessed assurance right here and finding out what God wants you to do. It involves coming. It involves getting closer to Him. It means daily getting up and going out and getting the manna. If you go back and read the book of Exodus, you'll find that that manna was for that day maybe even more than once a day. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 29, there was a lamb offered in the morning and a lamb offered in the evening. In Daniel chapter number 6 and verse number 10, the Bible says that Daniel prayed three times a day. You say, Pastor, what are you implying? That I get radical? I mean, we eat three meals a day. The psalmist said, "Brother Akinya, he said in Psalms 119, 164, and seven times a day will I praise Thee." Oh, Pastor, you're you're being a little fanatical. No, I'm just saying, if you want to be, you know, if you want to feel that hunger, come to Jesus. The reason why you're starving to death is because you're feasting on Lay's potato chips all the time, and I like Lay's potato chips. But I'd much rather have a ribeye. Y'all know I'm talking. If I'm going to Rick Irwin's on Friday night with my wife, Rick Irwin's, I'm putting in a good. Rick, I'm putting in a good advertisement for you. If I'm going into Rick Irwin's on Friday night, and I'm gonna take my wife up there to downtown Greenville, the West End Grill, and order me a fillet, I'm not eating a honey bun on the way. I'm not getting a bag of chips at the QT. My wife would look at me and say, you're about to get a steak and you're eating chips? Some of you would be like, yeah, I'll do that all the time. <laughs> That's what's wrong with you. But I'm not because I don't want anything to grieve my appetite. I want to go in like a bear and devour meat because I'm hungry. I want to come to where I'm getting the goods And if I have to, I'll go three times a day. Uh, Not to Rick Irwin's game, afford that, But you know what I mean. I'm going to eat. Why? Because I'm hungry. And listen, when we come to Jesus and we feast on the manna from heaven, the bread of life, let me tell you something. It will satisfy. But it even involves something even better than coming to Jesus. It involves not only coming, but believing. There's a big difference between coming to Jesus and believing. Listen. You can read this book 27 times a day. But if you don't believe it, it ain't going to do nothing for you. You must believe. The whole purpose of John's Gospel, for these signs, was that many would believe on the name of the Son of God. You know what believing implies? It implies trust. Hey, guess what believing implies? Trust. But it also implies rest. Guess what I can do? Because I believe in Jesus, I'm talking about believe on Him, I can rest in Him. Well, Pastor, I watched Fox News this week and it just seems like the world is just—it's coming to an end. It is. I got news for you. The world is coming to an end. But guess what? I ain't going to be a part of it. Because I'm resting, Pastor. What if? What if gas gets up? And what if you know China bombs us? And what if you know this and that? Listen. What if? But I'm going to rest in Him. It involves trusting. It involves resting. It has different results than just coming to Jesus. If we translated this passage, He that is continually coming to me shall never hunger, and he that continually believes in me shall never thirst. It's not just arriving for your appointment with God, but it's doing business with Him. Hey, let me ask you this before we leave. Is this book foreign to you? You can come to church every Sunday, and I'm proud of you, and we'll make a place for you. Let me say this if you're not believing this book, what good is this going to do? If you're not reading this and you're depending on your pastor to feed you once a week, get me, let me tell you something, by, by Tuesday or Wednesday, this wears off. This wears off. You say, well, pastor boy, I'll tell you what, thank you for the message this morning because we plow here. We preach the Word. I'm giving you the Word of God. And you'll say, oh, that was good. Boy, Monday, you'll say, I'm, I'm just thinking about... Boy, you'll shoot the preacher a text and you'll say, thank you for that message. Tuesday, You're hungry again. But guess what? You're going to feast on something that ain't... Because you're not in the Word. Get in the Word. You say, where do I start? It's all good. Just find you a book of the Bible. Find you. Start in Genesis if you have to. Start in John. Hey, pick up right where we are. Read the next chapter, the next verse. Say why. This is the food. And then, guess what? We not only get fed through His Word, but then we start talking to Him. Communication, listen, church, if half of us was walking with God, this church would be different half of us could you imagine if you prayed for the services what God would do? Could you imagine if you were already in tune with His word, what would you? Read your Bible. Read His word. This is the only book that God wrote. Read it. Believe it. Many of you leave your Bibles on the pews through the week. Listen. I'm not fussing at you, but I'm fussing at you. And the accidents can happen, but can I tell you something? Listen, if you're just sitting there saying, well, yeah, I'll pick it up next Sunday, what are you going to do through the week? I need the Word in me. He is the Word, the bread of life. By the way, I've heard people quote this before, before communion, which we have this evening. And they'll say, you know, Jesus said he's the bread of life and this is the bread, but hold on a second. Jesus declared himself the bread of life in front of a bunch of lost people. This has nothing to do with communion. He had not established that yet. This ain't a communion verse. What he's saying is those of you that are hungry for physical food and you want me to do something else for you, I can give you something way better than that. I can fill your every longing desire. Feast on me, feast on me.